0: This program is paid for by your radio doctor LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of your radio doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Your radio doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, products, physicians, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on your radio doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded.
1: At Independence Blue Cross, we take care of the people who take care of you. Everyday heroes like firefighters, teachers, farmers, and healthcare workers. Doctors and hospitals across the region have IBX, and they know what it means to have reliable access to care. So whether you're saving lives or just trying to live a healthier life, count on IBX, the region's number one health insurer for 85 years. Learn more at IBX.com.
0: Radio 1210, WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Always live on the free Odyssey app. It's time for the Delaware Valley's first radio doctor. On call every Saturday afternoon at 5. This is your radio doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross.
2: Listen, seven months or ten months... Is an absolutely exceptional, exceptionally short time frame to produce this vaccine.
0: Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie.
3: Good afternoon and welcome to your radio doctor. I'm your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Well, it's officially February and we're smack dab in the middle of cold and flu season, So I thought it would be a good time to invite my favorite ear, nose, and throat doctor for a visit to the show. It also made me think about a topic a lot of my patients ask about when they say, doctor, why am I always clearing my throat? Joining us to discuss the possible causes is Joe Spiegel. Dr. Joe Spiegel is a professor of otolaryngology and head and neck surgery in the Department of Otolaryngology at Sydney Kimmel Medical College at Thomas Jefferson University, and he's the director of the Jefferson Voice and Swallowing Center. Welcome, Joe. Thank you, Marianne. Well, we see a lot of patients in common because reflux suggests a reflux in or, or backup of the contents from the stomach not always just fluid but sometimes small food particles but when we talk about reflux if it damages the esophagus we call that gastroesophageal reflux disease if there are ulcerations or problems there but something that we're going to talk about with you today is LPR or laryngopharyngeal reflux because sometimes those gastric contents come all the way up you're going to d- explain it in more detail but I thought it might be helpful if we begin by saying we're going to cover both topics, both result from reflux of gastric, sometimes duodenal contents, but they, if they affect different areas, they're going to cause maybe different symptoms. Is that a fair way to frame this, Joe?
2: That's right. Both of these, the starting point is that whatever is in the stomach leaks out of the stomach and gets up into the esophagus. And mm-hmm. it turns out both conditions can be caused by the acid just leaking out of the stomach and then the acid or whatever else is in the stomach can get all the way up to the throat in some cases and cause even additional symptoms. And it was Mm -hmm. just about 40 years ago, people in my field started to realize that some of the common complaints we were seeing were because of this problem. And it was actually linked to the gastroesophageal disease, the heartburn and indigestion that we've all known about all of our lives.
3: Mm -hmm. Well, I think, too, you probably see a lot of singers who say, gosh, I have a big show this weekend, and my voice is scratchy, or this or that. And, And I see people that have acid reflux into the esophagus, but sometimes we both see them, as you say, if it affects their vocal cords, if the acid goes up high enough and irritates the vocal cords. So that's why we often see people in common. So let's dive into acid reflux into the esophagus first just a little bit so that we can spend a little time with that and move on because the problem with acid reflux into the esophagus, one of the tough things is it can mimic angina or pain from um, coronary artery disease, yeah? So somebody might have squeezing, burning pain in their chest, and it can even be sneaky enough – to radiate to the neck or jaw like angina does. And, but we narrow it down by saying, does it usually follow eating? Or might it awaken you from a sound sleep when you're in position for that acid? And other elements we'll talk about, like pepsin, even bile, can really cause burning. Um, so I think that's important to distinguish because that's, people are more familiar with GERD or gastroesophageal reflux, especially when it causes disease.
2: Well, you know, we, we the majority mm-hmm. of us, if we have reflux, it happens overnight because we lay down flat and we no longer have gravity helping pull everything back down into the stomach. And then people have conditions like obesity um, where they, um, they sort of recreate that, that even when they're standing, they have increased pressure in their stomach that pushes things back up. And mm-hmm. I, I also would say, you know, it's interesting that you bring up the singer. You know, we talk about, when we talk about voice users, we always think about that first, but when you think about people like teachers and preachers, there are a lot of people out there that use their voice every day that depend on it, and when they're clearing their voice all the time um, are dealing with thick mucus in their throat, uh, they're going to seek out assistance because it's bothering them in their daily voice use. Um, mm-hmm. Some of the other things are, you know, smoking. Smoking relaxes the lower esophageal sphincter and can and can promote acid reflux when you otherwise might not have it. You can have uh, certain foods, certainly carbonated beverages. If you drink a lot of carbonated beverages at the wrong time, they're adding pressure and bubbles in your stomach that will push things up. And then things like mint flavors and things like that will relax the lower esophageal sphincter. So there's a number of common pathways where people can be doing things that can um, promote this that could either lead to the GERD symptoms of heartburn and indigestion and sometimes chest pain and the symptoms of what we call LPR, laryngopharyngeal reflux, where it's more in the throat. Mm -hmm. So let's
3: distinguish right there. As a GI doc, I'm seeing people that have acid and and other gastric contents come into the esophagus and cause issues there. This newer diagnosis, since probably in the 60s, it was, became vernacular, and then probably like 1990s onward, you were really distinguishing LPR. Let's talk about what that means, LPR, and what you see and the symptoms.
2: So laryngopharyngeal reflux means we're seeing the effects of the reflux in the larynx and the pharynx, which is the throat. So mm-hmm. th- there's reflux, and there's reflux where you, um, the patient has the symptoms closer to the stomach and they'll come to you and when the patient has the symptoms that they're clearing their throat they're getting hoarse uh they're feeling it in their throat they have sore throats that they can relate to it they might come to me first the ultimate problem is the same and it's just causing a different set of symptoms. Mm-hmm.
3: So in GI, we talk about alarm symptoms. What makes us want to do an endoscopy rather than just say, let's try this medication or "or these behavioral changes. We want to go ahead and look with the scope to make sure it's not esophageal cancer. If it's brand new uh, dyspepsia or digestive symptoms after the age of 60, or if they've had a Patients had evidence of bleeding because they have black stool, which can signify blood in the stool, um, or they become anemic. We have to make sure from head to toe they're not bleeding from an ulcer or cancer <clears throat> or unexpl- unexplained weight loss, um, difficulty swallowing their food seems to get stuck in the same place mm-hmm. all the time, or if they have a GI cancer in a first-degree relative. So that's on the back burner. That's for extreme symptoms, weight loss, et cetera. But you're talking about, you make a really great distinguish. You explained that so well, Joe. It's the same culprit, basically. It's acid, pepsin, which is a, a protein enzyme. It breaks down proteins. That's pretty caustic. And bile, if we if it comes from far enough down in your uh, GI tract, bile can be really caustic, too. So if those um, chemicals come up in the esophagus, that's one thing. But if it's in your throat, boy, what are some of the symptoms people would describe when they tell you about that?
2: Well, by far, the most common symptom is the feeling that something in the throat, that you have thick mucus, that you have to clear your thick mucus all the time. And this is the by far the leading symptom. And then many people will complain of voice changes and hoarseness that mm-hmm. might may or may not be related. Um, and that's really, other than the things you described, in terms of our dangerous symptom. We, of course, go to the same things if somebody has difficulty swallowing or has pain associated with it. We always want, uh, whether it's us or a GI doctor, to get to the bottom of it and make sure that the patient has a full evaluation. If somebody has persistent hoarseness, we want to make sure we evaluate them. Now, that evaluation can usually be at the office. But when somebody has hoarseness that's persistent for more than two or three weeks, they really need to be evaluated by a doctor and have their... Uh, larynx visualized, which is a very easy office procedure these days. So there's no reason to let that go. But that's where we really mm-hmm. draw the line. And a lot of these patients that have voice changes, the reflux is only part of it. So it becomes something you have to tr- that you have to treat in order to get them to their best voice. But it's only part of the problem.
3: Mm-hmm. So the commonality with GERD meaning gastroesophageal into the esophagus or all the way up to the throat area it's a common cause. Acid reflux comes up and does its thing. The distinction is the location of the damage. That's what we're saying here. If it's the esophagus, that feels one way. If it's in your throat, oh my gosh, that can be really damaging. So we label it based on where we see damage. And I know sometimes we do endoscopy and the esophagus is completely normal, but they have the symptoms. Other people get what we call erosive or really red, irritated esophagus. So but the esophagus also has ways to protect itself. It can create a layer of mucus. It has tighter cell junctions that prevent the acid from going into other layers, and, and it creates bicarb. But the, the throat can't really protect itself as well. That tissue is more vulnerable, yes?
2: Yes, yeah, so there, there's a couple of differences. First, I also want to point out that patients can certainly have both, so that a, a person can come in with symptoms of both these problems from the same source. So that's number one. They don't have to be separated like that. And yes, not only can there be physical damage in the larynx, because it doesn't have the same protective features, and the vocal cords are a very thin layer of mucous membrane over muscle that don't have the same kind of protection. Uh, But more importantly, it doesn't take constant exposure to the acid to cause the problems. If you're having irritation just now and then, it can alter the way you use the muscles in your throat. It can alter the way you speak because you're getting this intermittent irritation. And the way we speak is very central. It's very, um, we don't you don't think about moving your vocal cords. We don't think about the actual structures and what we're doing. It's a very innate pattern of use. And so that can be thrown off by these irritations coming now and then.
3: And I love the way you explain that, Joe, because there's tissue damage from the direct contact, but then the changes outside the esophagus Uh, Due to triggering what we call vagal reflexes, the vagus nerve controls a lot of motion of our diaphragm and different parts in the chest and abdomen. Can you comment on that a little bit and and how it can trigger asthma, for
2: instance? So it's critical because the vagus nerve not only controls Mm -hmm. how the muscles in the esophagus move and it controls how the stomach uh, does its actions. The vagus nerve branches control how the vocal cords move and they control the cough reflex in our throat. And now there's a lot of work that's been done that shows that some of the stimulation of the vagus nerve in the lower esophagus is actually changing how the cough reflex part of the nerve works. So chronic cough can be associated with reflux on multiple different avenues. It can be from the actual acid bothering your throat and making you cough, and it can be from chronic changes to the vagal stimulation, to the vagal tone in your esophagus, and in your throat that leads you to have a very easily tripped cough reflex.
3: That's the best explanation I've ever heard of that. It's so simple when you say that, because this nerve is really long. It runs through from your neck all the way into your belly. So that makes sense that that's going to say, I'm going to change the way you cough. I'm going to change the way you respond to your acid reflux can also put your esophagus into spasm, and that can trigger the vagus nerve that says, okay, I'm going to start making you cough. So, so again, people can have throat and voice complaints, or they might have that persistent clearing of their throat, excess mucus, difficulty swallowing, um, feeling when they're lying down. The
2: feeling of a lump in mm-hmm. the throat. The feeling yep. of a lump in the yep. throat. That's what so many mm-hmm. people. It's
3: almost with. like they think they have a foreign body there. They have a piece of chicken stuck yep. there or something. So we have to think of LPR, laryngo—that's your voice box, pharyngeal, your throat, LP are laryngopharyngeal reflux. If a patient has an occasional sour taste in their mouth and they're coughing and all those things, well, you really put that together beautifully, Joe. Let's take a little break and when we come back, let's learn how we make the diagnosis of LPR. Thanks for
4: listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.net.
1: At Independence Blue Cross, we take care of the people who take care of you everyday heroes like firefighters, teachers, farmers, and healthcare workers. Doctors and hospitals across the region have IBX, and they know what it means to have reliable access to care. So whether you're saving lives or just trying to live a healthier life, count on IBX, the region's number one health insurer for 85 years. Learn more at IBX.com.
3: welcome back to your radio doctor we're learning so much from dr joe spiegel ear nose and throat doctor from jefferson university hospital joe i loved your explanation as to how acid and bile and pepsin another caustic chemical in our gastric fluids can come back and irritate the esophagus or the throat or both Um, and that throat area is called uh, th- of course, the larynx is your voice box. The pharynx is your throat. So LPR suggests acid refluxing into those really delicate tissue areas of the larynx and pharynx. So how do you make the diagnosis? We, don't, we know with endoscopy, we can slip down, look at the esophagus. Tell us how you make a uh, diagnosis with the laryngoscope.
2: So there's actually been a tremendous amount of work on this the last 15 years. And there's been a couple recent position statements that have put together a lot of the studies. And really, most of the time, the diagnosis is now suggested based on the patient's symptoms. When the patient comes in and says these things, and especially if they've tried treatment for the other things that can cause the feeling of thick mucus in the throat, like allergy and the medications that are available for post-nasal drip, Um, or, you know, if if one of their symptoms is cough and they've already been tried with treatment for asthma, and for allergy. Then we suspect that reflux to the throat or reflux into the esophagus affecting the throat could be a problem. Then we do a laryngoscopy, and the laryngoscopy can provide some confirmatory findings that make us feel even more strongly that it's reflux. But it's certainly possible for somebody to have reflux and respond to treatment, even with a fairly normal examination. The other Mm -hmm. thing we're looking for is many of these patients, as I mentioned before, have voice complaints, and we want to visualize the vocal folds and make sure that we know why they're, of course, why they're having trouble with their voice. We might, in the end, think that it's mostly reflux as the cause, but we need Mm -hmm. to do that visualization. We need to make sure we're not dealing with something else. Um, And then it's interesting, there are tests such as uh, impedance manometry. And this is a test where uh, a tube is put down through the patient's nose and into the stomach. And usually it has to stay there for about 24 hours. And it can measure whether acid is actually coming up toward the throat or into the throat. And it can also measure whether non-acidic things, whether the the physical nature of reflux is there and things are coming up, whether they're acidic or not. And in specific, Like little
3: pieces of food
2: or et cetera, right? Or just right? the liquid that's in the stomach, even if it's not, the liquids, not yeah. necessarily acidic. Mm-hmm. And so these mm-hmm. can be pretty definitive tests and, and are very um, definitive tests, but can also be a little bit for the patient to go through to have to have that mm-hmm. test. And they've done studies that show that if we treat with the behavioral and medication behavioral mm-hmm. changes and medications that we have available over about a three-month period, and judge the result. Do these symptoms get better? That's just about as effective as these other tests.
3: So I'm going to just stop you there for one second, because laryngoscopy means in the office, easy capizzi. You've done it to me. I tolerated it beautifully, and I'm a baby. Now I, I, I sit still for tests. But you simply spray a little topical, it's not novocaine, it's called lidocaine, and it numbs the, the nose and throat, well, and you and put and the sometimes nose, we it, easy it. Sometimes it's
2: not even, yeah, oh, it's a very yeah. quick, examination
3: yes. and that way you say okay Marian say E or o, take a breath and you can see my vocal cords move and you can look at that whole area it's so wonderful um, so people should not be frightened by that. That's number one, the, the laryngoscope. And secondly, you mentioned impedance manometry. Manometry, mano, means pressure. So as a GI doc, we order that study too sometimes. And we look at it. our test is to look at the, uh, well, we do it together. Um, we want to look at what is reflux, right? Is there acidic material coming up? We look at the pH over 24 hours. And we also can study the pressures of the lower esophageal sphincter, which is the gateway, we want that door to shut after a meal, so everything stays in your stomach. But sometimes we reflux a little bit. Normally, uh, like physiologically, it's good too when you eat a full meal. Sometimes that the door above the stomach, the lower esophageal sphincter, opens up a little to let air and <laughs> you know let you reflux a little, so you don't explode. But um, anyway, so we have these really cool measuring instruments manometry looks at pressure readings because sometimes people have that recurrent chest pressure after eating and we're trying to figure out we do the heart tests first to make sure it's not something life-threatening but the manometry or pressure readings and you say keep a diary we'll keep this in or swallow oh are you feeling the pressure right now and then we look at the meter reading and it says pressure's elevated so there are lots of really logical direct ways but i i want to share with our listeners too Every once in a while, Joe, I think, what am I going to wear? And you say, to what, Marianne? And I'm going to say, to the award ceremony when you won the Nobel Prize for the (laughs) cure for the common cold. But then now you have a new drug for chronic cough. Let's talk about that for a little bit because that is fascinating.
2: Well, there's been, it turns out chronic cough crosses with reflux because reflux is one of the three big common reasons for chronic cough. So in my own history professionally, um, as I treated patients for reflux, I got interested in the people that didn't get better. So there would be people that would Mm -hmm. come with cough or throat clearing, and we would treat them for reflux, and we knew they were adequately treated, and yet these symptoms didn't go away. And it turns out that there are other causes of common cough, and some of it is because the Nerve endings, the nerve that actually controls the cough reflex, is disordered. That's where the problem is. And normal things that happen in the throat that shouldn't cause the person to cough, cause the cough. We all make a quart Mm -hmm. of liquid a day that we have to swallow. We swallow hundreds and hundreds of times every day and don't even know it. But imagine if you had a bad spot in your throat, and every time you swallowed past that spot, it triggered the cough. And it, and it, it was a bad switch just like when you close the door of the room and the light flickers on and off. It's a bad switch. And it shouldn't do that. So every time you swallow, every time you stimulate this area, it triggers the cough reflex when it shouldn't. Well, um, <clears throat> smart scientists have figured out that there are um, there's a way to know how that nerve ending is stimulated, and that can be blocked. So there are a couple of pharmaceutical companies around the world that have brought drugs close to uh, testing in humans for marketing that could block this receptor. So we, we've been wow. approved and we're gonna start uh, being part of the study. There's a nationwide study uh, for the one drug that's been approved this far in the United States, and we're gonna start working with that. But I think for the general public to know that over the next year or two, there probably we will be an entirely new class of treatment available for people with chronic cough that had not been available up till now.
3: Which is wonderful. Now, one of the things you mentioned was if we want to visualize the larynx and pharynx to see if LPR is the diagnosis, one of the options is for people to say, "Uh, look, can we try something first to see if I feel better? And that will help make the diagnosis. So during that three-month trial of therapy, we're going to ask for the behavioral changes of We talked about avoiding those things in the diet that stimulate reflux, the eans. I always tell my patients, avoid the eans. Nicotine, no one should smoke for any reason unless they're bubble gum or chocolate cigarettes. I let them, I let my patients use bubble gum cigarettes. And that includes vaping. (laughs) And vaping. Oh, I just gave a lecture at my alma mater, St. Joe's University, to the physiology students. I said, everybody raise your right hand and say, I love you, Dr. Richie. I promise I will never vape. I will never smoke cigarettes or vape. That, yes, agree. So thank you for... No nicotine, that's in vaping or cigarettes. Caffeine, not no caffeine, but you don't want to drink caffeine on your way to bed when you'll also be lying flat and and refluxing. Um, And you want to reduce carbonated beverages if you're connecting them with symptoms. And now there there are other, um, you have told me about alkaline supplements that are now available to add a little bicarb to your your, uh, intake. But we talk, yeah.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, there's alkaline water. And you can buy these alkaline waters at Target and at Sam's Club and all of these different places. And they're not overly expensive and they taste just fine like any other bottled water. And so you're counteracting the acid just with your water product. And, of course, they're not carbonated. So you're not doing that. And we mm-hmm. make a, uh, I always um, make a big deal. Our rules are that you're not allowed to eat for two hours before you go to bed and that you mm-hmm. should try to sleep with your head elevated Mm-hmm. Um, so that you're, again, using gravity as best you can. And,
3: Joe, I am going to stop you there, too, because I'll talk to patients and say, they'll say, oh, I'm elevated my head, and I say, how do you do that? If you're adding an extra pillow or two, don't do that, because you're bending your body in half right where you can actually aggravate reflux. You want to elevate the top of your bed. I'm not even going to say the head of your bed. Elevate the top of your bed with either cinder blocks or wooden blocks under the legs at the top of your bed or as you say joe add a wedge under your mattress tilt your whole self not half of your body big big mistake people make
2: mm-hmm. i always suggest to people to go out to home depot or lowe's and buy a few two inch bricks yeah and you can start with you can start with two inches and almost anybody can tolerate two inches or four inches At six inches, you have to start having discussions with your partner if you have a partner in bed.
3: if you're going to slide into the ocean, yeah. Well, the other thing is smaller meals, maybe graze during the day, and then avoid clothing with a tight waistband because, as you say, just like obesity, you're pushing against your belly and and pushing reflux. So the other things that can reflux, we talked about nicotine, too much caffeine, xanthine, which is a chemical in chocolate, but fatty foods in general. You mentioned peppermints, um, alcohol. Alcohol and fatty food are the other uh, items that you want to cut back on and um, try to avoid bending after a big meal, too. Joe, so uh, carbonated beverages, let's revisit that.
2: Well, one of the things I've learned in a lot of years of practice is that everybody's a little bit different. But for some people, carbonated beverages are really the stimulus of this, and it's almost all they need is to get rid of them. I suggest everybody with this problem that they certainly cut back or try to find an alternative to carbonated beverages. But I've had a number of patients, you know, some of these um, zero calorie uh, seltzer waters are great for dieting because there are no calories and they fill you up very quickly because of the bubbles. But if people really just get into it, this, this is gonna be their diet, they're gonna drink you know, multiple bottles of this a day, cause it helps keep, you know, it helps them lose weight. They can drive reflux with things like this.
3: Good so it's point. like any,
2: It's like anything, you know, sometimes you find people that have just gotten into something and sometimes it's healthy. It's actually, they, they feel yeah. good, but it's yeah. driven, it's driven this problem.
3: And then the two categories of medication, three chemicals, three natural chemicals stir up acid. One of them is histamine drives your acid production by about 75%. So if you take an H2 blocker, more, more, Familiar to people as Tagamet, Pepsid, Xantax off the market, but Pepsid is something that turns your acid up by 75%, which is enough for some people. If you need something stronger, PPI stands for proton pump inhibitor. They're the drugs people know as Prilosec or the generic Omeprazole, right? Uh, the, the drugs right. that turn your acid up 100%. And if you really are, are super agitated with heartburn and you try – the big gun. You turn your acid pump off. You turn the machine off, one hundred percent. You pull the plug out. That might put out a really uh, severe irritation, but you don't want to stay on it forever for a couple reasons. You're going to talk about some, but the other thing is, acid's a good thing. The only reason it's bad is if it's in the wrong place. You don't want it in your suffix, but it helps kill the cooties in your food and beverages. It it helps um, metabolize vitamin B twelve. We need it for good function. Why else? would you not want somebody on long-term PPI without the the direction of, some people have to be, but why do we uh, sort of hesitate?
2: Well, the first point is that for many, many patients, they really can come under control if they concentrate on the behavioral aspects that we've been talking about. And I realize obesity can be a long-term problem that people have to deal with and things like this. But if people are willing to really make the lifestyle changes, most people will start to improve just with that. So while we we want to use the medication and we can bring them down to a better baseline quickly, we don't want them over a long period of time using the medication as a crutch to avoid doing the behavioral things and say, oh, I'll still have my Good drink point. before I go to bed because I'm on that medicine, so I won't have heartburn. Mm-hmm. So that's number one, because they don't need it. And like all of us, we don't want to you don't, shouldn't be on medications that you don't need to take, and we shouldn't be spending that money in the medical system to take them every day if, if there's an alternative. The PPIs have been shown over a long period of time. If they're taken every day for a long period of time, there's some risk of bone demineralization and bone fractures in elderly patients that have been on them, and there's some risk of kidney failure in patients that, all, that have kid, renal insufficiency that have been on these for a long time. So as patients get older, we really do try to um, get them off these medications. Minimize. However, yeah. if as you know, really more toward yours, if people have things like ulcer disease, if people are on blood thinners that put them at more risk from bleeding for ulcer disease, it's actually been shown that it's much more important for them to stay on these medications. Oh, because yeah. they're and if very people are protective. Bad.
3: And these other. These we didn't even talk about Barrett's, right. that long term acid reflux bumps your risk for precancerous changes called Barrett's esophagus. Not all Barrett's goes on to esophageal cancer, but we want to just keep the you know when the ocean hits the rocks and erodes the rocks we want to keep the acid away from that sensitive barrett's esophagus and minimize minimize the risk of further damage that could turn to cancer let's take a little break and more from dr joe spiegel ent from jefferson And now for your real champion, I call this segment Angel Flight East. In recent years, the medical community has wisely spent more time and energy focusing on barriers to health care. Cost is often at the top of the list, but what if you or your loved one has a serious medical condition and the treatment is at a medical center far from home? That's a question being addressed by Angel Flight East, a nonprofit organization. Dedicated to serving the community by offering free airplane transportation to qualified patients requiring crucial medical care at distant facilities. The service often includes transporting other family members as well. It all began with Harry Morales, a general aviation pilot who wanted to help with relief efforts after Hurricane Andrew in 1992. He created Angel Flight East with the help of Jeff Kahn, Joe Staples, and others. Their efforts began in Pennsylvania, and the office is located in Bluebell. Over time, the team placed a special emphasis on those patients living in more remote areas who would need travel assistance. Angel Flight East serves the northeastern region of the U.S. with a 14-state footprint, and a special focus on states that have the more rural populations, including Pennsylvania, Ohio, New York, Maryland, West Virginia and Virginia, and Maine. And for destinations outside of their reach, Angel Flight East links with other volunteer pilot organizations. In 1993, the first year in operation, a small band of pilots completed 17 flights. Now, over 900 flights are scheduled each year in the northeastern U.S. Volunteer pilots use their own aircrafts to fly patients to their destination, and these men and women pay for all expenses for each mission they fly. Many Angel Flight East patients require air transportation numerous times over several years for treatment and follow-up of their conditions. I had the good fortune to speak with Ellen Williams, executive director of Angel Flight East, who shared beautiful stories about patients. Like the young dad, Chris, from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, diagnosed with leukemia. Initial therapies were provided at Johns Hopkins, and his condition went into remission. But when the leukemia returned, he was given little hope and was told to get his affairs in order. An opportunity arose at the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute in Boston, As you may know, the process of a bone marrow transplant includes preparation, the treatments, and follow-up, which can last for months. Angel Flight East made it happen, flying the patient, his wife, and children back and forth. On one occasion, they even got to fly past the Statue of Liberty. The transplant was successful, and Chris continues to flourish. He was so grateful that he hosted a Feast for Friends, bringing everyone who helped him to recover, including the pilot and the donor from Germany. Chris then spoke at the annual Angel Flight East Gala and brought a tear to every eye in the room. Then there was a young mother from Buffalo who had a high-risk pregnancy carrying a baby who had a condition that would best be addressed by the team at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. The baby arrived safely, but was then an inpatient at CHOP for close to a year. The dad was a disabled veteran, so the mom continued to work so they could have insurance. Dad stayed at the Ronald McDonald House here in Philly, and Angel Flight East provided over 200 flights, bringing mom to Philly each Wednesday and back to work in Buffalo each Sunday. The baby is now at home and treated locally. For beginner pilots just learning to fly, lessons include instruction on charitable aviation opportunities, including Angel Flight East, and and right now there are over 400 pilots in this vicinity. One of the challenges of Angel Flight East is getting the word out to those in need. Ellen Williams explained that currently there are more pilots available than patients requesting assistance. The goal is to have a rural and rare reach, providing transportation to those in rural areas with rare conditions. Jessica Ames is Director of Outreach and Events. Maddie Beck is the marketing and communications manager. Together, they've created a podcast called Takeoff Talk, sharing compelling stories of patients and sharing their message that patients shouldn't let transportation costs delay medical care because it can put you or loved ones at increased risk. Jessica and Maddie aim their outreach to nurse navigators, physicians, and medical providers in target areas. Ellen also shared that the pilots uniformly say they volunteer for no other reason but to help sick children and adults in need. They take time from their own families and friends and use their own planes or those to which they have access. In fact, there's no limit to the number of flights. One patient receives help until travel is no longer needed. Pilots combine their love of flying with the honor and privilege to help the sick. Some pilots and families have become so close, they even vacation together. And the man who started it all? Harry Morales provided the service of flying the CEO of the Red Cross to Dulles Airport so he could arrive safely to help those at the Pentagon on the day after September 11th. We salute you, Harry Morales, the Angel Flight East pilots, and the entire team, including Ellen Williams, Jessica Ames, and Maddie Beck. You're real champions. Visit the website angelflighteast.org. This year's Angel Flight East Gala is called On Angel's Wings to be held on April 27 at Wings Field in Bluebelt. That's angelflighteast.org.
0: Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed anytime, anywhere, at your convenience. Just download the Odyssey app and search Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand.
1: At Independence Blue Cross, we take care of the people who take care of you—everyday heroes like firefighters, teachers, farmers, and healthcare workers. Doctors and hospitals across the region have IBX, and they know what it means to have reliable access to care. So whether you're saving lives or just trying to live a healthier life, count on IBX, the region's number one health insurer for 85 years. Learn more at IBX.com.
4: Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, now Saturday afternoons at 5, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross.
0: This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC.
3: And we're in another segment of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Joe Spiegel, ear, nose, and throat specialist from Jefferson University Hospital. Joe, we've talked at length about acid reflux into the esophagus that we know as GERD if it causes disease, LPR, which is laryngopharyngeal reflux, and how that can cause chronic symptoms in the throat or with hoarseness and such and chronic cough. Let's talk about a new area that might not be familiar to most listeners called RCPD, the no burp syndrome. That's fascinating. Tell us, if you would, about that.
2: So this was actually brought to me about four years ago, and one of the most fascinating things about this condition is that it was discovered by the people that have it on the Internet. And through blogs, mainly on Reddit, these patients came together and realized there were these group of people that had never been able to burp, and they all had a similar group of symptoms. And the symptoms are that they bloat all the time, and they get abdominal bloating, and they get chest pressure and hear noises in their throat, especially after they eat. They call them frog noises. And unfortunately, they get flatulence because the air has to go out the other way. If it can't get up, out as a bird. Oh, true. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing that stands out in this group is they do not have difficulty swallowing.
0: Interesting. So even
2: though all these things are going on, they swallow just fine. So the term for this is RCPD, which is retrograde cricopharyngeal dysfunction. So the cricopharyngeus is the muscle, the upper sphincter uh, of the esophagus that we swallow past. And this muscle is closed all the time and then opens when we swallow to let the food through. And it's supposed to open to let the air out, and it doesn't in this condition. So when the air builds up after you've eaten, you've swallowed some air, and whatever the digestive process is doing is making air, the air comes up. And normally, there should be a sensor that tells this muscle to open at least a little bit and let it out like the top of a tea kettle, or to signal your brain it's time to burp and open the muscle for a burp. And these patients don't have that. So they came together on the Internet. There was a doctor in Chicago, who luckily I know, who discovered this and started treating them and then wrote a paper. And one of my patients discovered it and came to me and brought it to my attention. And since I know the doctor, I spoke with him and we started treating it here. And now we probably have the second largest group in the country having treated it. And um, we treat it with an injection of Botox into this muscle. And Botox is a muscle poison. It's used for wrinkles because it weakens the muscles under your skin so that they won't wrinkle anymore. Well, it turns out if you weaken this muscle, it'll open and let the burp out. And for the great majority of our patients, all we have to do is do it one time, and it fixes. And they don't need any other treatments. And it's been fascinating in a couple of ways, probably most fascinating because it came from the patients to us. Doctors don't right. know about this. The patients sort of put it together. And this is really you know, something as a function of the internet that I don't think any of us suspected 30 years ago we'd ever be dealing with. But this is where the patients themselves define this. Most Many of these patients had lots and lots of GI tests as they were growing up, as people tried to figure out why they were bloating, wor- worried that they had things like inflammatory bowel disease. And they're all negative. So they started talking to each other. Why can't why are we getting all these tests? Nothing ever shows positive. Wow. And that's the other interesting thing, because when we come to them, if they have this symptom complex, we just treat. And we don't put them through any more tests because we feel confident in this. And now with the thousands of patients we followed across the country, we can feel very confident. It's wonderful. So for
3: our listeners, <clears throat> when you think about your colon, it's a long tunnel and it it points from north to south. And what gives us control is a perpendicular muscle, the rectal sphincter. It's kind of the doorway that opens to let you empty, and then when it closes, you feel finished or you feel comfortable. Your esophagus has sphincters as well, the control motion. As we said, that lower esophageal sphincter opens so your food could go to your stomach, and then it closes so you don't regurgitate. I mean, it opens a little to let some air out, but we don't want it to be open, especially when you're lying down. There's a sphincter at the top of your esophagus. That's what you're talking about here. The crico exactly. pharyngeal
2: muscle. It's right behind your voice yep. box. Yep.
3: And so if that's tight, it's cooperative enough to open to let you swallow your saliva, swallow your beverage, swallow your food. But everybody, especially those people who eat quickly, we swallow air we don't just inhale it. We swallow air when we eat and speak. And you talked about preachers, yep. not just singers, <gasps> who take deep breaths and they do long sentences and they're trying to be emphatic. All those people, we all swallow air and there has to be a little release. But if that muscle, that upper doorway, that round perpendicular muscle to the long esophagus tube doesn't open, that could be tough to not be able to burp. So you put a little Botox in, the door opens, we're happy.
2: Yeah, it's actually a pretty good dose of Botox. And, um, and we've done it both in the office and in the operating room. And it's been a a really tremendous, um, improvement for these patients. Our, our results, yeah. About just a little less than 90% of our patients have gotten better from this. And so they've really, um, been able to seek us out from all over the country, uh, because it, it, they, they know from each other, they know exactly what they want. They've talked about this on the blog. And uh, it's been fascinating to deal with. And
3: and people hear you say, "Hey, we can do this in the office because it's really local anesthesia, right?" You spray. and well, we did
2: most of we, we most do most in the of OR, in, but in the operating room, because the the majority of our patients have not had endoscopy, so nobody's actually looked down there. And as a matter of fact, we're just we just got approval to publish. Our next paper on this because we're finding some interesting inflammatory conditions that may or may not be associated with this, Uh, certainly much more than the general public. So we're interested in that. We think we get a little bit more of an accurate injection in the operating room, but we've done many, many, many in the office and we get very good results that way too. And when people um, don't have a complete response, when they Uh, get better, but then it wears off and they get worse again, we'll do a second or third injection in the office. And we've been very successful with that as well. Well,
3: what I I would think too here, Joe, if somebody's upper sphincter is too tight and their saliva pools, that they're going to have more likely to have LPR as well, right? Because if they reflux and then the door closes, it can't go back down. My other quick question for you is when we're evaluating patients with suspected GERD, or gastroesophageal reflux, or LPR, which is laryngopharyngeal fluid in the throat, or now the um, RCPD, which is retro disease. (laughs) It's a spectrum of... Yeah. yeah, Okay, sorry. Um, We have to make sure, we have to keep our suspicious high. In medical school, for our listeners, we hear, when you hear the sound of hoofbeats, you also have to think of zebras. You can't always say it's a horse, right? So in the back of our minds, we want to make sure we don't see any evidence for horses could be something as simple as thyroid disease, and we can pick that up in labs. we have to think to order it. But you want to look for polyps on the vocal cords, cancer, right? Cancer of the larynx or the upper esophagus. Or precancerous uh,
2: lesions uh, in the esophagus that then need to be yep. followed. And yep. so um, we all we always do a full examination, and we always follow our patients with these mm-hmm. problems. And just like you were pointing out, um, one of the most important things is to really follow up on the patients that don't get better the way you expected them to. The patients that you were sure had reflux, but aren't getting better on the medications and the behavioral changes that you provided them. The RCPD patient that doesn't respond to the Botox like you expected. That's the patient that's most important to work up and make mm-hmm. sure. And we have found some. Very interesting things in the small group of patients that haven 't gotten better because that forces your hand you know you have to let patients know that you're going to that those are the patients you are going to put through the tests mm-hmm. and the prefix, and make sure
3: the prefix presby means older like the the seniors in a church i guess presby um, presby uh larynges or the folds around your vocal cord if they if they become tired people might have chronic throat issues just like why people need CPAP if those folds around your airway get kind of lax that's why we need air to keep that air flowing yes well With-
2: also as, I mean as we get older there's a little atrophy of the vocal cords there's actually a little atrophy of the muscles of the swallowing system Yep. and we can measure that mm-hmm. so as, as we get older we're not quite as efficient Um, speaking. People that speak a lot and continue their speaking as they get older tend to do better.
3: Oh, good to know. That's exercise
2: for the vocal cords. Uh So, Uh And often we find that as people get older, they retire. Unfortunately, they lose friends or spouses, and they just don't have as much conversation. You may have
3: just just saved my marriage because my husband will say, "Mayor, get to the point. And I'll say, honey, I'm Irish. I tell a story Irish style. Go on.
2: (laughs) It's just voice exercise. Yeah,
3: yeah. Because there can be neurologic conditions that change your voice or swallowing as well. And a lot of times that's what causes somebody's life to end, right? If they've had a stroke or something and their well, swallow is off, they aspirate. Yeah, they get tired. As,
2: as you said, it's the same things they teach you in medical school. Don't forget that people, that patients can have more than one thing wrong with them. And even though you're very sure about the one thing, you, ha- you finish your examination and you make sure you've looked at everything. Mm-hmm. And that when patients don't get better like expected, that's when you really have to put your thinking hat on and really make sure that you've looked at everything and, looked for, and that you haven't and that you haven't made assumptions
3: because mm-hmm. we, we can't even forget like an asthma cough or food allergies and or sometimes people just develop that habit of clearing their throat like a tick yes do you see that very often
2: well th- that's what, one of the things i was talking about one of the terms we use is irritable larynx and that's a great term it's like a tick just like you see somebody who shrugs their shoulder um every now and then because they just can't help it it's a muscle motion they can't help Well, a cough can be actually a kind of tick, or A throat clear can be a kind of tick. And interestingly, they often respond to the same type of medication.
3: Interesting. Let's take a little break. And when we come back, our weekly wrap-up with Dr. Joe Spiegel.
0: Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie is presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross.
1: At Independence Blue Cross, we take care of the people who take care of you. Everyday heroes like firefighters teachers farmers and healthcare workers doctors and hospitals across the region have ibx and they know what it means to have reliable access to care so whether you're saving lives or just trying to live a healthier life count on ibx the region's number one health insurer for 85 years learn more at ibx.com
3: a special thank you to dr joe spiegel ear nose and throat specialist from jefferson university hospital and now for our weekly wrap-up called your weekly prescription show we've talked about acid refluxing into the esophagus or even farther up the i-95 into the throat and the area of the voice box or larynx And now let's talk again finally. We want to redefine the the no burp syndrome. So this has been a great discussion. What's your take-home message for our listeners?
2: So as far as the no burp syndrome, uh, there's a very easy to remember uh, website called noburp.com. I don't have anything to do with it, although my name is on it because I take care of a lot of patients. But that's a good way to connect and see that many other people have this problem uh, if you think you do. And if you're outside our direct listening area, it can also direct you to other physicians like myself who have come to know about this and and treated a number of patients so that you can find the care you need. And my other point is about these other chronic problems we've talked about. Chronic hoarseness, chronic throat clearing, chronic heartburn, chronic cough. And these are things that you shouldn't let go. And you should at least start by going to your primary doctor talking to them about this. Many of these things are caused by common problems. They can often be taken care of by your primary doctor. And the initial evaluation and the treatment will be taken care of and you'll be better and you can move on. But don't ignore these chronic problems because they seem like they're maybe minor or they seem like they're not getting worse (laughs) and just continuing at the same level. Because they can be serious problems. The serious problems are usually pretty easy to evaluate. And a lot of times there's very reasonable treatment that you might not even know is there for the cough that you have or the throat clearing that you have every morning when you get up and things like this that you've taken for granted. But have them evaluated, go through your primary physician uh, and those that need it. You'll get to a specialist and don't ignore these chronic complaints.
3: No, because we want to make sure that you don't have cancer of the larynx or a vocal cord polyp or or lung cancer or anything that might be interfering with how you swallow um, and, and heartburn and all those issues that uh, might send you to the drugstore because you can buy the stronger medicines, the, the pump inhibitors, yourself and, and stay on it for months that go by. And then you say, oh, gee whiz, when did I start buying this six months ago? It's an easy trap to fall into. At least tell your primary care doctor. And if they're seeing a pattern that needs a specialist ear, nose, or throat or GI Treat yourself to the right care. Be good to yourself. Do not play doctor because it can really it can be something innocent or it could be something really dangerous. And the longer you wait and treat yourself. Well, Dr. Joe Spiegel, a very special thank you for joining us. We learned so much from you, as I always do. And again, I I really am going to have to think about what I wear to your ceremony when you get the Nobel Prize. Too that, too. Cure for the common cold and now for the no burp syndrome. And uh, noburp.com, thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it.
2: Well, thank you, Marianne. It was really a pleasure.
3: Thank you for listening to Your Radio Doctor every Saturday at 5 p.m. here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Listen to any of the shows in our extensive library on odyssey.com, A-U-D-A-C-Y.com. A -A A special thank you to our exclusive sponsor, Independence Blue Cross, and for support from Recovery Centers of America. And now a word from our new associate, helio.com, the medical media company and information platform that offers the latest in healthcare news and information great articles from May and August of last year, one linking the duration of gastroesophageal reflux symptoms to poor sleep in women, and another shows relationships between asthma and gastroesophageal reflux becoming a significant trend. Look for it on helio.com. Wednesday is Valentine's Day, so share the love Please like or love Your Radio Doctor on social media, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and now TikTok. And remember, tell those special people in your life that you love them every day, not just on February 14th, because I love you, all my faithful listeners. Please continue to pray for peace in our world, our country, our families, and in each of our own hearts. This is Your Radio Doctor. Dr. Marianne Ritchie, wishing you a happy, healthy, and safe week with the ones you love and always here to remind you that your health is your wealth.
0: Thanks for listening to your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. To contact Dr. Marianne and to listen to today's show, as well as past shows, visit yourradiodoctor.com. This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program has been pre-recorded.
1: At Independence Blue Cross, we take care of the people who take care of you. Everyday heroes like firefighters, teachers, farmers, and healthcare workers. Doctors and hospitals across the region have IBX, and they know what it means to have reliable access to care. So whether you're saving lives or just trying to live a healthier life, count on IBX, the region's number one health insurer for 85 years. Learn more at IBX.com.